Welcome back to the Angel MD On Call podcast. I am Brad McCarty from Angel MD, and I am joined this week by Dr. Wendy Whittington, and we will be discussing uh, politics without getting too political. We're discussing uh, the the age of the Trump administration and the impact that it has had on healthcare. Uh, so, Dr. Whittington, please give me your background here, and and uh, I, I can then explain a little bit about why I wanted to specifically to have you joining me for this. Sure, sure. Happy to. Thanks for having me. So I am a general pediatrician, first and foremost, practiced for 20 plus years. Um, but toward the latter part of that career, made my way into hospital administration and have held CMO roles, CMIO roles, um, technology roles, CIO roles, and also have done consulting, um, particularly around things like clinical effectiveness. So all the while, I've considered myself an amateur health policy wonk or enthusiast. So uh, so I'm thrilled to, to be chatting about all this today. Yeah, and I, and I think that's actually kind of what started this conversation between the two of us uh, a few months ago, actually, before we uh, went to the Alpha Conference, was that we both kind of are a little bit of policy wonks. We uh, we tend to get involved with what's happening in Washington and, and locally as well and keep an eye on that. So uh, we've got a few topics to discuss in this podcast, but I, I wanted to start off by talking about uh, the Affordable Care Act, the ACA, Obamacare, wh- whatever nomenclature you want to go by here, uh, and, and where it stands today and how it's different, you know, what, what sort of differences we're going to see moving forward uh, because of things like the, the repeal of the individual mandate, for instance. Right. Well, you know, for starters, Brad, it probably makes sense to just clarify it. It is still in effect. There, there was an interesting study, I think it was done at the end of last year, you know, polling people about Obamacare or the Affordable Care Act. And uh, something like 25% of folks in that study believed it had already been repealed errantly, right? So so there's a lot of myth wow. and misunderstanding out there. So um, getting back to your question, it, 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 it is... It is still there. I wouldn't say it's alive and well because it's being whittled away at, but it's still very much out there. Okay. And when, when we're talking about the ACA, there are, you know, obviously for people who are in the healthcare profession, uh, we, we've got a little bit better idea about what it means and what it doesn't mean. But we also are speaking pretty heavily to investors on this podcast. So uh, let, let's kind of break down what the ACA is and what it is not. And I think first and foremost, uh, from a legislative pr- perspective, uh, the ACA set about a, a number of standards that insurance companies had to meet as far as quality of care, availability of care, and in, in some ways, the cost of ensuring that that care was available. Uh, is that fair to say? That's totally fair to say. And, and I think, you know, to your point about speaking to investors about this, there's always, for me, a little bit of a push and pull here. So, you know, to, to do right by healthcare within the ACA, you know, I have to put my do the right thing hat on. Um, and, and when I think about this as an investor, I like to kind of go by the premise that doing the right thing is also good for investors, right? Do well by doing good. Right. But th- there are some conflicts and I think we just have to be 
be clear about those. And I think we'll probably hit on a lot of those today. That's, I think, what makes this topic so interesting is that there are uh, there are so many potential conflicts to to discuss. Most recently, I, to kind of get people up to speed with it, one of the tenets of of the original ACA was that everyone had to have health insurance. And if you couldn't afford health insurance through, you know, the the marketplace or what have you, then there were ways that you could get a uh, premium reduction or you could get some assistance in affording those premiums. And the the idea of this, like it is where you have mandatory insurances, say, for automobiles, is that the the larger the pool, the less responsibility each individual person has, and so the lower cost. That, that's exactly right. And that's that was the whole premise behind it, right? And the whole the the whole reason that it would work is because in doing that, not only do you bring more people in, but you bring a healthier population into a pool of of folks. So it, it just makes a whole lot more sense. To be fair on that point of a healthier population, part of what I think took the insurers by surprise was exactly how many unhealthy people were signing up for these uh, for plans. The initial thought on this was, if we have a 100% pool of everybody here and everybody's signed up, then we're going to have a pretty healthy overall group uh, that, that are going to be splitting these costs. What we actually found to be the truth was that the lev- the overall level of health was somewhat lower than what was predicted. And so the costs were therefore somewhat higher because you had less healthy people. You're, you're going to hear a lot of anecdotes about, you know, I couldn't keep my doctor or my premiums went up 15 or 15 times what they were. And those, those cases certainly did happen. Uh, but largely, the ACA was pretty effective in, in accomplishing what it set out to do. I, I think that, again, I, I hope that's fair to say. I think I think it's fair, but I think you know, in all fairness, let's you know let let's look at it from from a devil's advocate perspective as well. I mean, one of the one of the faults was that the impetus for healthy folks to sign in. To your point, you know, a lot of a lot of folks with health problems signed on. If you listen to the insurers, you know, the the uh, the carrot for healthy folks to sign on was yeah, you know. <laughs> Not not all that great, and the penalty and the and the stick wasn't all that great either, right? If they didn't do it, so sure. So so you end up you ended up having a number of healthy people who didn't sign up because it was uh, not that big of a deal for them to deal with the uh, the tax based penalties uh, of of not signing up for the for the care plans. It was cheaper for them to pay the penalty That's than right. it was to sign up for the uh, the insurance. Exactly. And so uh, most recently, to kind of get us up to current day, there has been a repeal uh, via the Trump administration of that individual mandate. And, and that's kind of the cornerstone of the ACA is that, you know, it can only work if everybody is involved with this. Uh, so we started seeing a little bit of whittling away of that uh, during last year's open enrollment period, which was shortened and there was uh, significantly less uh, advertisement behind that, though we still did see uh, good numbers sign up. This year, uh, we have had the repeal of the individual mandate, which will then go into effect uh, at the did that go into effect immediately, or does that does that wait until next tax year for so for twenty nineteen? That's a great question. I'm I'm not exactly sure. There may be different parts of it that go into effect at different times. But you know, I I would I would agree with you completely <laughs> that that we're seeing that. And and at the risk of sounding too political 
on this issue. You know, I, I think rather than just let's repeal Obamacare altogether, it's a little quieter going on behind the scenes and a little, you know, easier politically, I think, for the folks that want to see it gone to just chip away at it. And in um, getting rid of the individual mandate, that's part of, of I believe, what, what is happening here. So, so ultimately, if you take away the things that was going to make Obamacare successful in the first place, ultimately, you're, you know, folks that are against it are going to be able to just turn around and say, look, it failed. Well, it failed because we're chipping away at, at a lot of the basic tenets. Right. I mean, we, we kind of cut the cables on the bridge and then said that the bridge. <laughs> right. The bridge didn't work. Right. So, yeah. so you have the repeal on the individual mandate, but then you also have the short term health plan. Right. And so uh, let's you you have actually looked into this a little bit more than I have, I believe. So would you, would you kind of give us a, a, a clue as to what's going on with these short term plans? Yeah. So, so basically the Trump administration, and I think they just finalized this rule last week said, okay, um, now it's going to be okay for insurers to offer these short-term health plans. And the short-term health plans basically are able to skirt a lot of the rules that that Obamacare put in place for the insurers. So short-term health plans, for example, are you know potentially going to be able to exclude people with pre-existing conditions. There's all these things that were, again, some of those cables to the bridge, if you will, on, on the ACA that are being chipped away at with the short-term plans. To clarify, short-term plans are not a new thing, right? They, they've been around, but they were intended to be uh, kind of a... a, a a gap filler, right? With, you know, like I, I left one employer, I was starting with another. So in order to meet the ACA requirements and not have an insurance gap, I would get the short-term plan for 90 days or something like that. Right. But, but I think the, the short-term health plans that we're going to see coming about as a result of this recent rule is it'll be an expanded version of that. And I think that there are a lot of insurers that are saying, great, I'll just offer these plans. They're money makers. You know, one of the big things that I found offensive about it is that that brokers who sell those plans um, can make commissions in the 20% range on the short-term plans. And, and those commissions were limited to 5% on ACA plans. So there's all these little things in there that um, make it profitable for opportunists to jump into the short-term health plan game. Um, and that will also chip away at the ACA. But these are really only for catastrophic coverage, it, it, is what I'm seeing for the most part. That, that's right. So most short-term plans aren't going to cover maternity care. They don't need to cover outpatient prescription drugs. Um, substance abuse, mental health treatment is a biggie that, that they don't need to have. So th- those are some major, major gaps, in my opinion. Who bears the burden of this? Because we, we at the end of the day, we're going to have fewer people and fewer healthy people and unhealthy people inside of these larger, more standard plans. Uh, so what, what do you, do we expect to see premiums rise on those plans as well? That's a great question. Um, you'd have to ask an economist and I, and I'm not one, but, but I, I suspect the answer is yes. Right. I suspect the answer is yes. And, and, then again, you know, it, at the end of the day, the um, the opponents of the Affordable Care Act are going to be able to come back and say, "See, <laughs> we told you premiums were going to rise." Now, if if you look at the CBO 
projections. I, I, I don't want to mislead. The, the ACA was not perfect and, and there were some things to be worked out for sure you know, in, in the premium department. For anybody who, who agreed that the ACA was at least functional, we all agreed it was imperfect right? and, right. and, and needed, needed a lot of change. Uh, but, you know, I think you covered, you, you actually touched on a really big point was uh, that for the first time in a long time, mental health coverage was a requirement for any type of uh, ACA qualified insurance plan. And so I, I think that a lot of people are going to be unpleasantly surprised when they get into these plans and they're saying, sure, I, you know, now I'm only paying 45 bucks a month or whatever it is for this, uh, you know, the, this lower tier plan, but it's just not going to cover anything unless I, you know, like lose a limb or, or I'm a, you know, hospitalized for an incredibly long period of time. Right. Right. Exactly. One of the other arguments that I've read against these plans, and, and I don't, I don't have a whole lot of experience here, so I'm hoping that maybe you do, is that there is an elevated risk for non-payment uh, on these plans as well, because you have, I think it's a, in some cases, a lack of education, uh, where you know somebody signs up for this plan, they go see their primary care provider, their 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 PCP puts them and says, you know, you need to go into uh, you need to be admitted, and then they get out and they're they're stuck with this massive bill because they have you know maybe it's ten or fifteen thousand dollars worth of of uh, coinsurance that has to be paid up front. That's a great point. That's a great point, and time will tell, right? So when when we first saw the ACA come into effect, we had a lot of folks looking at inpatient care, for example, on the hospital side, and and thinking, wow great, there's going to be more covered people, uh, therefore less, you know, uncovered care that that hospitals are providing. And I think we did see a shift there for a while. Things were heading in the right direction, but I think you you raise a really excellent point. And I, th- I think you can add on to that point that that what 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 most experts think will happen is, you know, folks sign on for these short-term health plans. Then they become ill, realize the plan doesn't cover what they really need, and they're going to end up then going back to the ACA to to try to get coverage, and it just really complicates things. So, um, yeah, who's going to get stuck with the bill at the end of the day? Somebody is, <laughs> right? And uh, and the and the bill is likely to <laughs> to just keep right. going up. I, I don't see how it's going to go down. You know, the, the goal of this episode is to look at both sides of this, but I don't really know that there is a potential upside to repealing the individual mandate and, and where the ACA sits today. I mean, because we've, we've been told or, or try, they've, they've tried to kind of sell us on this idea of repeal the ACA, replace it with something better, leave it to the free market. But that's where we were before the ACA. And so we, we somewhat have already seen how that story ends or, or am I missing something? <laughs> no, you're not, you're not missing anything. And, and, you know, it's interesting when you think about, um, health, health care reform, you know, a lot of folks think, oh gosh, they, they first started trying to do that, you know, during the Clinton administration, but not so, you know, you can go back and back to the Truman years and, 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 and see attempts to, to change or fix our, our system. I think the the increased urgency is the fact that in recent years, um, healthcare spending has approached now what nineteen percent of our GDP. So, yeah, I, I, I'm with you. I, I don't uh, I don't get it. I think we need bigger fixes. I, I I do think that that part of the ACA that we haven't 
talked about. I, I have to give you that this part is happening outside of the ACA as well, but there was certainly a kind of a link between the ACA and the move toward value-based care, right? There were, there were, sure, th- those two things went hand in hand, even though I, I, I'm hopeful that some of the movement toward value-based care will keep going. You know, I, I think that's where we have to, we have to shift a lot of our thinking. There's been a lot of, uh, of legislation. There has been, uh, well, interestingly, a lot of it's been delayed. You know, if, if you look back over the past couple of years and you start looking into uh, like centers for Medicare, uh, CMS, and, and you look at what CMS has finally come out with as far as their standards of care, uh, mm-hmm. a lot of these things never really got a chance to take off because the, the, the rules surrounding them took so long to come out. And then by the time that they, their implementation dates hit, then we were already into the current administration, which then changes things. So I, I think it's. A- That's right. That's right. And in all fairness, you know, not all of it, I think, was as, as successful as CMS had originally hoped. If you look at the accountable care organizations, for example, right, there, there wasn't a lot of savings that has happened in that um, in that trial to date. Um, I think just yesterday, CMS came out and said, you know, we're, we're going to change this a little bit. We're, we're going to make, um, we're, we're going to get rid of some of the accountable care organization structure that we have put forth to date. And we're going to require that providers um, take on more risk. You can't just say, okay, I'm going to be an accountable care organization and I'm going to collect this, these bonus point dollars for doing well. There also has to be a, a, a risk portion of it. So, so it, it hasn't been perfect you know, the move toward value-based care, but I think much like the ACA itself, you know, if we don't keep working at it and moving in the right direction, if, if we keep slapping it every time we, we change administrations, we're, we're not going to get there. We, we, healthcare needs a slow, steady fix. Um, I, I'd rather see a fast, steady fix, but, but we're not going to tolerate that. So what, what it really needs is consistency, right? And, and we change the rules all the time and that doesn't help. I think that's a, a perfect segue into, I, I, I don't want to continue to hammer on this for too long because I think we're, we're somewhat in agreement, at least from our viewpoint, that you know, this individual mandate repeal and, and the ACA is uh, problematic at the, at the very best right now. But we are coming into midterm elections. So uh, we have an opportunity there, I guess, to once again change the story of what's happening. Uh, so it should be interesting. What, what should we watch out for? Anything in particular? <laughs> Boy, and you want me to keep it not political, well, Brad? This I, is a tough one. <laughs> I, know, I know it's really, really hard to not get political when when we start talking about elections, especially. But you know, the the thing that I want to do is at least present both sides of this story. Sure, sure. Well, I don't think you know when you look at healthcare policy. You know, I I really care about these midterms personally, but but I, I think you know as a healthcare executive or a healthcare policy person, um, I, I'm maybe not as interested as I am in a presidential year. Because when you look at, you know, the, the appointment of the head of the FDA, for example, when you look at who's running health and human services, um, that that's going to come from the president. So I, I don't see a lot of great big shift back toward, you know, a healthy, thriving ACA, even if the Democrats were to, were to take majority. Which is actually a perfect segue into the next section that I want to talk about, which is the FDA. 
And so if we're talking about positives, the FDA is kind of a bright point right now in, in a lot of ways, especially for young, uh, young companies or, or companies who are delving into new drugs. Uh, so we, we're seeing, I, I think across the board, we can definitively say we are seeing faster drug approvals today than we have in the past. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. But what's interesting about that, if you if you kind of if you go back and you pay attention to the legislation around it, this actually started in 2012, uh, but was never really enforced. And, and I, I don't know why that is. Do you have any insight there, or is that you know a, a mystery to you as well? Well, I, I think Dr. Gottlieb has something to do with it, right? I mean, so you can have a rule in place, but it, but if your leader is. Uh, is leaning in one direction or another, the speed with which a rule is followed or not followed, you know, might change. So, so I, I think leadership has a lot to do with it. And, and I'm, I'm not saying it's necessarily bad either. You know, there, there, there's certainly some good parts to, to less, less bogged down at the FDA. The feeling that I'm getting is from the high end on down. So if we look at wall street and so if you look at these, these large corporations, you know, like Pfizer, AstraZeneca and whatever, uh, they, they're seeing some pretty nice returns off of being able to bring newer, new drugs or new formulations of their drugs to the market and to get them through clinical trials faster than they had previously. So, you know, obviously for investors in these companies, that's wonderful news. Uh, but I wonder about newer, smaller companies. I wonder if there is an increase in competition for them uh, because you know, you have these larger companies which have more resources to be able to put toward uh, these, you know, investigating these different drugs or different formularies of them. Uh, or if, if it really isn't making much of a, a difference as far as a, you know, kind of battleground between the, the establishment and the, and the upstarts. I... I I don't know exactly, you know, to be honest, but I don't think it's making that big of a difference. I, I think, you know, that the part that I would highlight there when you look at the, the lobbying efforts of big pharma and all of that is how does this relate to drug prices, right? So not only right. did, um, did Trump campaign on, you know, we're going to decrease regulation all over the place, but also, we're, you know, we're going to beat up these companies and and lower drug prices and that hasn't happened so yeah right you would think that an easier smoother fda process might go hand in hand with with uh with seeing some prices come down there, there was actually a great editorial in uh in the new york times over the last couple of days about you know why why haven't the prices come down and what would we need to do to make that happen it's 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 not rocket science it's it's within reach it just I think where there's a will, there's a way. We're, we're seeing some interesting developments within uh, drugs as well. As a matter of fact, uh, you and I were, were talking earlier today about uh, the new surrogate endpoints that the FDA has kind of uh, unveiled here, uh, which again should help make these uh, you know, authorizations and, and make the approvals go even faster than we've been seeing. So I, I think there's definitely room for improvement here, but I think that across the board, we're seeing the potential is there for lower prices. We just don't, uh, the, you can take the skeptics view as, as to why we haven't seen them yet. Yeah. 
Yeah, I, I think there's a lot of question marks there. I, I don't have the answers either. So you pointed to something that I found very interesting, interesting, I'm sorry, from the Brookings Institute that kind of talks about the deregulation within uh, the Trump era. And when we're looking back, so kind of across the board, which if you're if you followed this administration at all, you're you're fairly familiar with the idea that anything that went into a proposal during the Obama administration or became final during the Obama administration has been delayed within the Trump administration. Uh, you know, basically everything that that's we're right. looking at with with healthcare. Uh, you know, that's right. I'm sure that that that's that may be different in other areas, but certainly within healthcare. Are there any potential negatives to what we're seeing with this change at the FDA and the, and the speed up of this process? Well, when when you look at the changes at at the FDA, I, I'm sure there are pros and cons to to that process, right? And and things going faster, but that's not everything that's going on at the FDA, right? The FDA is responsible for other things like protecting us from, from harmful substances like tobacco, right? So you look, um, you look at all the things that regulations that were set in place during the Obama era and now delayed during the Trump era, some of those fall under the FDA, right? One, one in particular is the deeming rule. So the deeming rule was put into place during the Obama administration, really to allow the FDA to regulate, um, tobacco outside of what we traditionally were regulating and to move into e-cigarettes and vaporizers and all, all, the, all those other things. Well, um, the Trump administration has delayed that. So, so there's, there's a lot of other functions of the FDA that I think are important that we think about. That may have been a little bit of an invasive question on your fast track drugs, but I think we have to look at the, at the, at the FDA holistically. There's a lot of other stuff within the FDA that's not really been the topic of discussion here. And, and so I, I think I think that has to be at some level at least a point of contention for these younger companies or even established companies who are trying to bring new devices to the market uh, and, and get caught up kind of in this you know, regulatory process mud puddle as it tends to be. Um, right. You know, and, and so I I almost wonder if there's there's room here. It seems to me for this administration to make some some more positive impacts to be able to say okay why don't we you know figure out a way to make this process better than what it is today so uh, credit where it's due even though the rule came into play in 2012 it wasn't really enacted until the, this administration comes into the office in early 2017 right right there there's a fine line you know i I, I haven't seen anything, although I'm not looking at every little um, thing that they pass through, I haven't seen anything that has made me say, ay, yeah, yeah, you know, we're, we're going too fast. We're letting the wrong things through, but that's not my job, right? It's somebody else's job to, to make sure that, that that doesn't happen. And, uh, you know, I, I, have, I have some level of, of, of faith in, in that section of our government, and we just have to, you know, remain vigilant. <laughs> so the final area that I want to talk about today, which is something that you alluded to earlier, you are an investor as well. And so let's talk about the impact of investing uh, because of this administration and the changes. Uh, personally, have, have there been any kind of uh, big flashy neon stop signs for you or maybe big flashy neon go signs that, that have 
changed because of the the regulatory differences with this administration? Big flashing stop signs, definitely not. Um, big flashing go signs might 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 be an overstatement, but you know it, it feels like a good time to invest. <laughs> it, it feels like right. a good time to be investing. There's a lot of exciting companies, um, you know, coming up now, and and I, I think just the overall um, atmosphere at at the FDA is, is creating a little enthusiasm for some of those companies as well. So I think it's an exciting time. So one of the things that we kind of harp on, uh, maybe that's the wrong term to use, but it's the one that I'm going to use anyway at Angel and D is uh, diversification and playing the long game. Uh, because we all, we all kind of understand. And, and I think that this is, you know, one of the special parts about, what we do at AngelMD is that we have so many physicians who are also investors and they understand that it takes in some cases seven to 10 years for something to go through FDA processes and, and to come to market and sometimes much longer even. Uh, and, and so that long game, you know, as, as Warren Buffett has often said and still says, even into, you know, that's, that's the advice he's giving for investing during this administration is to just focus on this long game. But uh, diversification, so if you're talking to an investor who has not really stepped into uh, early stage healthcare or you know alternative investments such as angel investing, uh, is, is today still a really good time to do that? I think it is. I, I think it definitely is, right? There's, there's just a lot of exciting opportunities out there and I, I think we can all say, you know, with the with the understanding that wage growth is a little more stagnant than we'd like to see it, but you know, unemployment numbers are low, the the stock market is high, things are looking pretty good. I mean, it's 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 fair to say that this is by pretty much every measure a strong economy right now, which makes investing and, and taking that little bit of extra and putting it, you know, into something that's gonna work for you, that that makes that a Today's a pretty good time to do that. That being said, what about the potential impacts of uh, you know a president who's very active on Twitter and likes to uh, likes to take <laughs> aim at companies and things of that nature? Yeah, so we we could kind of wrap wrap those statements together, right? So yes, it's a great time to invest, but um, most savvy folks that are looking at our economy in the future are saying, you know, let, let's just let's just prepare for what might be coming as a result of whether it's the trade wars or, you know, you name it. There's a lot of, um, there's a lot of lability out there. Right. <laughs> right. So, so I, I think as always, you know, don't, don't invest what you, uh, what you can't afford to lose, but seize the opportunity as well. Right. Yeah. But generally speaking, I mean, we're, we may be a little frothy right now. I, I don't, I don't think anybody, I think anybody who is honest with themselves is probably going to say that things may be a little, you know, uh, toward their high end before we see a uh, a return to normal. Uh, but I think that there there is, you know, obviously after a period of high growth, you kind of tend to have that regression to the mean. And you know, so the the investors that I'm talking to most recently are are saying, you know, they're they're still very optimistic about things, but they're cautiously optimistic because we do have so many factors in play that we haven't seen with previous administrations. Whether it is you know kind of across the board uh, deregulation or uh, 
improved speed in the FDA or or a president who's very active on Twitter. Uh, you know, we 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 haven't really seen these before. Yeah. <laughs> so you know, there, there's no, no. I did, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Sorry. I just wanted to go back to that point about about Twitter. You know, I think most of us in healthcare, and and maybe healthcare is not special. Maybe maybe everybody's feeling this way. But you know, I I don't think we put too much weight into those those Twitter rants. I mean, you you have to kind of look at it at face value. This this is a president who very early on. Um, in his tenure here, said, "Who knew healthcare could be so complicated?" Well, all of us, all of us in healthcare. Yeah, lit- literally everyone who's ever walked inside of a hospital and gotten a bill knew. All of us knew, right? And right. and most people not in healthcare knew. So, I I, I don't think we uh, we put what what he says on Twitter about healthcare, whether it's aimed at. Amazon or anybody else, I, I, I don't, I just don't give it any weight because I don't, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, so, so I think that actually may be an interesting parting shot. Uh, what about this Amazon thing? Amazon, Berkshire Hathaway, and uh, what, what, there, there's a third name in here that I'm not remembering off the top of my head, and and what they're trying to do with a large conglomerate of healthcare. Um, are we going to see more of it? You think? Any any guesstimates there? Uh, well, they've been pretty secretive about it, right? right? So, so see more of it. I don't know that we know what it exactly fair, fair, fair exactly assessment. is, but but I do know um, that you know that there there's a lot of truth. Um, if you if you go back and read um, Clayton Christensen's work, you know there, there's a lot of um, validity to the fact that when you have an industry like healthcare that is so set in its ways and has been so, you know, kind of right. barge-like in the way in, in the way it moves, that that the way to really disrupt it is for somebody to come in not from from inside and and to uh, and to make a big change. So, you know, that if you believe that basic premise, and and I do believe that that there's some truth to that, and and you you look at how big you know, Amazon and, and friends is and what they might be doing. Um, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. Definitely. We, we, we need disruption. I, I don't know that this is the disruption I want or we're all going to want, but. But it, but it is disruption regardless. Right. It's, it's definitely stirring the pot somewhat and, and, and stirring. And, yeah. And that needs to happen. Yeah. For and sure. stirring the pot with a, with a really big paddle. So, uh, you know, when you start talking about uh, companies the size of Amazon and, and their market cap and Berkshire Hathaway and, and the amount of money that they can put at something, that's uh, that's a really big pot to stir. So, uh, well, Dr. Whittington, thank you so much for your time and, and for your insight. If people want to connect with you, how can they do so? Uh, through my AngelMD email. You're welcome to put that out there. Great. So that is, uh, you are Wendy. I believe, right, at angelmd.co. And uh, you are connected not only to a number of our other physicians and investors, but you also follow a lot of great companies on AngelMD. So uh, if you're if you're interested in who's doing interesting stuff, uh, definitely see who uh, Dr. Whittington is following. I, it's, a, it's a great way to kind of get a little insight into what's new and, and what's exciting within the platform. So... Once again, I'm Brad McCarty, and this has been the Angel MD On Call podcast. Thanks for listening. Make sure to drop by on iTunes, leave us a rating, and leave us a review. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, what you'd like to hear, and who you'd like to hear it from. 
We will be back with a new episode soon. Until then, make sure you're signed up on angelmd.co. Complete your profile. Keep in touch with us. We'd love to hear from you.